Hey, Chapel Hill. It is so fun to see you and to be with you. If you don't know who I am, Mark just told you. So hopefully you're listening. And uh, what a privilege to be a part of worship today. I was, I was emailing uh, uh, Ellis, Pastor Ellis this week to just kind of check in about attire, make sure I knew what I was supposed to wear. And uh, he said, well, Pastor Mark always wears hot pink skinny jeans and a tank top. And um, so I just emailed right back, okay, I'll, stop, I'll be stopping by your closet on the way to worship uh, on Sunday. So, um, but last night I was so surprised because let me just tell you, when we started what is now this service, Mark had never preached a sermon without a tie, ever. And I said to him, Mark, you know, we're trying to create a, a little bit of a different feel and a different vibe. And, and I think it'd be great if you didn't preach with a tie. And he did it. And it was a big deal. Well, let me just tell you, a lot has changed since that day because last night I was at the Saturday night worship service, which was awesome. So fun to see that service come alive and and be happening. Mark was wearing shorts and (laughs) flip-flops. Who are you? And what have you done? With the mark that I know. It must be all, the, all those young bucks that you're working with. And that's uh, super exciting and great to be with you. You know, it was six years ago. This Sunday is actually very poignant for me to be here. Because it's kind of like, um, you know, catching things on the flip side. Six years ago, exactly this Sunday, August 12th, 2012, I was standing in the pulpit at First Presbyterian Church Fresno for the very first time. I was there to preach my candidating sermon where you preach in front of the congregation and they vote on whether or not they want you to be their senior pastor. No pressure, but it's just um, a great moment. And, and I remember as I stepped nervously into that pulpit, I, I was so aware. I remember just taking a breath and just being so aware that this church was with me and that this church had done so much to prepare me for that moment. That this church had raised me up, had nurtured me. This church where my kids were born, Caitlin and Andrew and Rebecca, where they were baptized right here. Where we learned how to be parents. Where people held an extraordinary loud Andrew Vaccaro, who was like legendary in the nursery for how loud he could scream. Um, For a church that let me try new things and grow in ministry and responsibility. I was so aware that day that you're, you were praying for me. And I'm so grateful for that. And I was so grateful in that moment. And I was really especially grateful that day for your prayers because on that particular day six years ago, there were 700 people packed into our sanctuary that sits about 600. And it was a 112 degrees outside. And the air conditioner died. So I think a few congregation members died as well that day. I... <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was so hot in the room, and it just kept on getting hotter and hotter. And, of course, I was trying to make a good impression. I was in a tie and a jacket, and they kept on telling me, take your blazer off. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I know, we know it's hot. Take your blazer off. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I am wearing a white shirt, and I am sweating so much that if I take my blazer off, you're going to see my nipples. And I, <laughs> that will just be awkward. And I just... I don't want to do that. And I, I know I just said nipples in the church. And so, but you all have them. So, um, and by God's grace, by God's grace, and because of your support and encouragement, they, they voted us in that day. And um, 
what a great day of celebration it was. And by the way, we have a brand new air conditioning system in the sanctuary. Praise the Lord. So uh, on that day, our fam- I want to show you what our, remind you of kind of what our family looked like back then. Here's a picture on that day. This is, um, you can see I took the blazer off because I went into a room after I preached while they were voting and I stood in front of an air conditioner vent like this and like, t- like totally like, and got all dried off and then went back in. And this is after they voted us in. Caitlin was nine, Andrew was eight, Rebecca Joy was six. And um, within five weeks of that day, at the end of September, after an awesome going away party and a very emotional goodbye, we started traveling off to California. And of course, our first California stop was at a very sacred place in California, (laughs) in and out Burger. Um, that's the first place, literally, that's the first place we stopped in California, uh, was at the In-N-Out there in Redding, and uh, now In-N-Out Burger in Fresno is a regular Sunday afternoon occurrence. Um, and uh, it has been a very full six years. In fact, this is what the family looks like now, photo number three. This is uh, Easter this spring, and Caitlin is uh, 15, Andrew is 14, Rebecca Joy is 12. Tomorrow they start school. Uh, so summer is over for the Vaccaro family. Caitlin will be going into 10th grade and go sophomores. Okay, a few, okay. Uh, Andrew will be starting his freshman year. Any, any freshmen? Oh, come on, you should be way more excited than that if you're going into high school, come on. And then Rebecca's going into 7th grade. And, um, and so they are so bummed that they can't be here today and they so much wanted to be a part of Rachel's ordination. Um, it just, um, they, they send you their greetings and, and love this morning. And in the midst of all of that, I was right in the middle of a PhD program that I'd started in 10, 2010 under Mark's great encouragement, under the financial blessing and encouragement of you, this congregation. I'd launched that. I kind of thought, this is a perfect time. I'm in a great place in ministry. I can do this in four or five years. It'll be awesome. And, and I'll learn a ton. Well, in the middle of that, God called me to First Press Fresno and that slowed things way down. And, um, but I'm so excited that to tell you that on July 23rd, I did my dissertation defense and I passed. And so my defense has been received. So praise God for that. Praise God for that. Well, with all of that stuff in mind, I just want to say again, that is my great privilege to be with you today, to, um, see so many new faces and to see so many beloved, beloved friends. I, I, I told Mark um, after the great reception of the first service, I said, turns out that my church doesn't stand and greet me every time I walk into the pulpit. So uh, thank you for just the encouragement and the love that uh, you've shown me today. And it's my awesome privilege to share with you good news, good news today from God's holy and awesome word. Last week, Pastor Mark launched a brand new sermon series called Knowing God. How many of you were here last week and heard the first installment of that? High school kids, you were at camp this last week, right? And I heard it was awesome. I just want you to know that I was in the very first trip that we took as a church to Cape and Ray. And I uh, excited that you could go back up there to Thetis Island. Weird name, but great place. And... Um, So last week, Pastor Mark launched that new sermon series, Knowing God. It's based on Psalm 139. And at the heart of Psalm 139 is this life-changing reality, this, that, that God is a God who really 
knows us, who perfectly and absolutely knows us. And the psalm starts out, Rachel already uh, used it for the call to worship this morning. It starts out with the psalmist saying, oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. He's saying, God, you, you know every move that I make. You know my every thought. You know my every habit. You know my every decision. You know my every word, even before I say it. And all of that kind of knowledge, it simply blows my mind. That's how David starts the psalm. And you get the sense that it's this wonderful thing. But in the next section, he, he goes in a bit of a different direction. And it's not quite clear in those next five verses if David is thinking of this as a positive thing that he's describing or a negative thing. But more important than figuring out which way David thinks about it is to figure out which way you think about it today. Because your decision today about how you understand these words in a positive way or in a negative way will set you on a path that either leads you more intimately into relationship with God or less intimately or away from relationship with God. That's what's at stake today, Chapel Hill, as we come to this time. So I'm not sure if you're hungry or if you're bored or if you're thinking about something this afternoon, but this is a moment right now when we can hear from God's word and we can experience the transforming power that God brings it by his Holy Spirit. So I encourage you to grab a Bible and open up to Psalm 139. It's in, on page uh, 521 in the Pew Bibles. We're going to be reading 7 through 12. Hear now, Chapel Hill, God's holy and awesome word. David writes, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is the awesome word of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you so much for your awesome word. And I pray that right now by your spirit, you would use it, God, to speak into our hearts and to speak into our lives, not just new information, not just more stuff. That's not what we need today. But that you would use it to bring your redeeming transformation. That's what we need. Change our hearts, deepen our faith, grow our belief in you, God. All of it for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Now there's a shift right there, right? From the previous verses. Pastor Mark talked about it last week. In verse six, he says, such knowledge, God, is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. You get the sense that he's talking about a good thing. But then in verse seven, he, it feels like the tone changes. Suddenly he's asking a question. And the question is about how to get away from God. And it's not clear whether he's saying that from, or asking these questions from a positive place or a negative place. If it's from a negative place or a negative attitude, it's like David is saying to God, I don't want you to know everything about me. I, I, don't, I don't want to always be in your headlights. 
I, I, I want to get away from you. I want to find a place, God, where you can't see me. And if that is the way that, that David is bringing this, we, we shouldn't be surprised because what we learn in the Psalms is that David has a way of praying to God that is absolutely transparent, that he's not afraid in these poems, in these songs that he writes, to just tell God how he feels and to tell God what he thinks God should do. So it's possible that he's coming from this negative place and he's struggling with this reality and kind of saying, God, I don't, I don't want to be like this in your presence. But what if it's from a positive place? If it's from a positive place, then, then what he's doing is just continuing in the same theme of what he's already started in the first verses. He, he's just continuing to, to praise God and he's using these rhetorical questions to just bring out another one of the awesome, amazing characteristics of what it means to be an intimate relationship with our God and Father. I'm not sure which perspective David is coming from. But either way, maybe it's even a little bit of both. But either way, his point, what he's communicating is absolutely clear, right? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that there is no place where he can go where God won't be able to find him. No place physically, no place emotionally, or no place spiritually where God isn't going to be present with him. Look at verse 8 and see what it says there. Verse 8. Next to verse 8, you might actually draw a, a vertical line like an axis and, and put arrows on the top and the bottom. He says, if I, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Next to, and and that, that is talking about how no matter how high he goes, it, up into the sky or up into the heavens or even up to what we understand as heaven, like even beyond our reality, that God is there. And no matter how low Sheol is down in the depths, no matter how deep into the earth, even to the place of the dead, God is there. No matter how high or how low, God is there. Next verse, next to verse 9 and 10, you might write a, a, a horizontal line with arrows on either side because he uses language there, the wings of the morning. He's, he's looking to the sunrise in the east and the uttermost parts of the sea. He's like a west coaster looking out to the Pacific and to the, to the west and saying, no matter how far east or west I go, uh, no matter where on this earth I go, even there, verse 10, even there, even there, God's hand shall lead me and his right hand shall Hold me. So not only, and I think you should actually underline that part there about God's hand because what it's saying there is something crucially important that not only is God present, not only is he there wherever David goes, but it means that God is actively there. That God is working intimately there. That his hand shall lead you. And his right hand shall hold you. Those are words of intimacy with God. God isn't just an uninvolved presence that's everywhere. No, God is involved. He's active. He's intimate. That's what David is saying. And it reminds me of the way, this idea that God is at work anywhere. It reminds me of the way often that, that people think about the difference between Gig Harbor and Fresno. Because I can't tell you how many times people in the process six years ago of moving, people would ask me, so you're, you're moving from Gig Harbor to Fresno. <laughs> and I confess that there were a lot of times six years ago when I was 
driving down Rosedale and I would head into the harbor and I would see the beautiful waterfront and the boats that I'd grown to love and that scene that I just think is so amazing. And I would say, God, you are having me move from Gig Harbor to Fresno. (laughs) Yep. That's exactly right. No matter where you go, no matter how high or low, no matter north, south, east, or west, God is there, and God is at work. Fresno Church, let me just tell you, it is an awesome city. It is an awesome city, and it has daunting problems. Daunting problems. We don't make the list like Gig Harbor makes in Sunset Magazine. We make the lists in poverty reports, in crime reports. And yet, God is there. And God adores Fresno. And God is at work in Fresno. He is bringing his redeeming transformation there. And I get to be a part of that. How exciting is that? So, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. And the Bible says, it continues to say, not even the darkness will hide David from God. Maybe you can draw a little light bulb next to verses 11 and 12 because because it says that even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. And he's definitely talking about darkness, like literal darkness physical darkness. But you know what? I think it also points to this larger reality, this larger reality of the dark night of the soul, the dark places in our lives, the darkness that Rachel prayed about, the darkness that we sang about that trembles at the name of Jesus. I think he's talking about those things in our lives that we try to keep in the dark those experiences that we have in life, even some that we prayed about today that, that are extremely difficult and dark. And God, the scripture says, can find us even in the darkness. The message version says it this way. Oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. And you know, there's... There have been so many good things that have happened in the last six years down in Fresno, but there's also been some really dark times for us as a congregation. I think about four years ago, just two weeks ago, four weeks ago at the end of July, one of our 13-year-old kids in youth group, right involved in youth group, took his own life. And And that suicide brought up all the feelings and the pain and the hurt of the suicide of the former senior pastor that happened a couple years earlier. We were right back in as a congregation, right in that darkness. One year ago, almost exactly last summer, a member of our congregation, a friend of mine, a man in whom, whose home my kids had been and spent time, it came to light that he had been sexually molesting many little girls. A handful of those little girls are from families in our congregation. Darkness. Darkness. But this word says that in the darkness, it is as light to God. That God is there 
even in the midst of the darkness. This word says to us that there is no place, there is no place physically or emotionally or spiritually or relationally where we can escape God's presence. And it's not exactly clear whether David is celebrating that like it's good news or struggling with it. But as I said earlier, what's most important today is is to figure out how you respond to this reality. Because church today, every single one of us is kind of on this line, this, this spectrum of on one side is kind of having a positive view about this passage and on the other side is having a negative view about this passage. Every single one of us is somewhere on this line. So where are you today? Where are you really right now on this spectrum? And that question reminds me of a, of a wonderful illustration of this, the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is when things go bad in the biblical narrative of God's creation. And do you remember what Adam and Eve did um, after they first disobeyed God in the garden? The first thing they did is they realized somehow that they were naked and and they got ashamed and they tried to hide from one another because they were embarrassed and afraid and they wanted to separate from one another. They wanted to isolate, which is always a result of sin, from one another. But then the next thing they did is that they tried to isolate themselves from God. It says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 that when they heard God coming, and I don't know what that sounds like, but when they heard God coming, it says they tried to hide from God among the trees. And we might kind of go, seriously, you tried to hide from God among the trees? Maybe he won't see us. But you know what? Their story is our story. Their story is our story. We, we try to hide from God all the time. We try to hide from God in our work. We try to hide from God in our relationships. We try to hide from God in our busyness, in our activities, in our entertainment, in our hobbies. When things are hard, we just say, I'm just going to get busier so I don't have to think about the hard things. Um, We try to hide by keeping our addictions in the dark, by keeping our indiscretions a secret. We hope that God is going to call someone else to do whatever it is that God wants to do. We just hope that someone else who's maybe worse than us is drawing more of his attention right now and we can just kind of go unnoticed Why is that? Why did Adam and Eve try to hide from God? Why do we do the same thing? Why do we tend as all humans to kind of to have a negative view about the inescapable presence of God? Well, I'm going to sum it up in a very simple way of thinking about it. I think it's because of our unbelief. It's because we don't really believe what the Bible says. 
about who God is and what God has done for us and who he has made us to be in relationship with him. If Adam and Eve really knew the heart of God and believed in him, they wouldn't have hidden from God. They would have run to God with repentant and contrite hearts because they would have known that there's nothing better than to be found in the presence of God. Even though there were consequences, of course, for their sin, it was better to be found in the presence of God than to live a life of hiding and a life of fear and a life of shame. We hide. We try to escape because of our unbelief. Because we think that God doesn't really love us. Because we believe that our sin is too great for him to forgive because we don't believe that God really does have our very best in mind because we don't really trust that his way is best because we don't believe the truth of what the scripture teaches us. We don't really believe that there is nothing better than to be found in the presence of God. And when we hide from God, when we run from God, when we think negatively about the God's awesome and inescapable presence, it keeps us from experiencing all the beauty and all the power and the redemption and the life of being found in his all-knowing, all-loving, almighty presence. But do you remember what God did? After Adam and Eve tried to hide, after they sinned, after they rebelled, after they believed the lie of the enemy rather than the word of the Lord, do you remember what God did? Genesis 3 tells us that God didn't abandon them in their unbelief, that, that God didn't forget them in their hiding, and God certainly did not give them the immediate and complete death that they absolutely deserved. Instead, instead, church, God found them. God came to them in a way that they could experience, in a way that they could understand, in a way that they could hear him walking, it says, in the garden. And even though they hid from him, he spoke out to them. He reached out to them in a voice that they could perceive and understand. And he asked them the same penetrating question that I've already asked you. He said, where are you? And beloved, God does the same thing for us. He comes to us. He finds us. And the ultimate expression of that is Jesus himself. God himself in the flesh coming from heaven to earth full of grace and truth so that we might be found in him. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's goodness and God's love and God's mercy. Even while we were hiding from God, even while we were running from God and trying to get away from God and sinning against God, the Bible says that Jesus is the one who endured the cross on our behalf, that he took our sin on himself and he endured the punishment that we deserved so that we might be forgiven of our sin. And he died on that cross in our place. But not only that, but the Bible says that he was raised from the dead and in his resurrection power that he chose to give us, those who put our faith in him, he chose to give us the blessing that he alone deserved because of his perfect relationship with God. In other words, he gave to those who put their faith in Christ, he gives to those who put their faith in Christ his righteousness. Why would he do that? Because he knows and he believes and he wants us to know and believe and experience that there is nothing better than being found in the awesome presence of God. And when we believe that, 
Watch out. When we believe the truth about who God is and what God has done for us in Christ and who is made for us to be in Christ, when we believe what the Bible says, we will have absolutely a positive perspective about the inescapable presence of God. In fact, knowing that there's no place physically or emotionally or spiritually where we can go that God is not can become for us one of the most empowering realities of our faith. When we know the joy of being found in God's inescapable presence, guess what? It gives us courage to go where God calls us to go. There have been so many times, I just need to confess to you, in the last six years, that I have wanted to turn and go in a different direction. There have been so many times when I've wanted to hide, hoping that, that God would send someone else to be in that painful place or to have that difficult conversation or to talk to that person about Jesus or to make that public apology or to give generously or to walk with that friend in crisis or to lead that church through its pain. There have been so many times when I thought, God, this is, this is just too much. Like, this is too, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this moment. I want to be away from here. Where can I get away from this? But I'm just here to tell you that these verses remind me of something that is greater that, that is so wonderful, that's so transformational, that is so empowering. These verses remind me that there is nowhere I can go, nowhere physically, emotionally, or spiritually, no matter how dark it is, where God isn't there with me. And not only with me, but where God is leading me and holding me. There, there is nothing better, church, than being found in the presence of God. And when I believe that, I can walk into that situation. I can walk into that call. I can walk into that problem. I can walk into that conversation. I can walk into that sacrifice with incredible hope because even there, wherever there is, no matter how dark it is, God's hand will lead me and his right hand will hold me. What could be more empowering than that? And the same can be true for you. The same can be true for you. Is there a part today of your life that you are trying to hide from God? Is there something that you're trying to keep in the shadows? Is there a call or uh, something that he wants you to do that you're trying to escape from? Are you just hoping that God won't notice you while you mind your own business? Are you trying to escape God's inescapable presence? Beloved, I hope you believe today, not for me, but because of what the word says, that there is nothing better than being found in the presence of God. And not just the act of being found, but the state of being found in the presence of God. Of God. So this week or this year or in your life, as when you realize, when you find yourself sliding down the scale of thinking negatively about God's presence, when you find yourself hiding or when you find yourself trying to flee from God, stop and repent. Take, take some time to to talk to God about that, to, to pray to God, to put it before God and just tell God what you're feeling and what you're doing and why you are doing it. Ask him to help you to believe 
and who he is and what he has really done for us in Christ and who he has made for us to be in Christ. And then, then when we do that again and again and again as, as he works in us to bring that redeeming transformation, then we can be people, you can be people, Chapel Hill, who celebrate God's incredible presence and go with courage wherever he calls you to go. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your work among us today. Come now in all your presence and goodness and speak to the hearts of your people. Just want to encourage you, church, maybe the Spirit has just worked to bring an area in your life where maybe you've been hiding. Or maybe just your whole general attitude has been to try to escape God. Maybe you've never put your faith in God. Maybe you've never really trusted that you can trust Him. And if there's a sense of that becoming reality for you right now, then that means the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And the Holy Spirit is showing you what He wants to show you. And I just pray that in that moment, you'll just take a moment right now to acknowledge before God. Just in prayer, He can hear your thoughts. He knows your thoughts, that you would just acknowledge that place. God, please forgive me for trying to hide this from you. God, God, please forgive me for for not believing this about you. God, please forgive me for trying to run away from you. And then ask him to help you believe. Ask him to increase your faith. Ask him to help you know what is really true that there is no mountain he won't climb up. There's no shadow that he won't light up. There's no door that he won't kick down. There's no lie that he won't tear down for you to be found in his awesome and powerful and amazing and redeeming and transformational and life-giving love. There is nothing better than being found in the presence of God. Oh God, May this church be a church that believes that together and lives that out, going with courage and love wherever you call them to go. And everyone who agreed in that prayer said in the name of Jesus, said, amen.